Hello, this is the Suresh Sharma show, episode one with Christopher Hoffer, and uh, he's the most famous recruiter into the Salesforce ecosystem. Uh, who's who's also been a CRM consultant for ten years of his life, and then later decided to be a recruiter into this space. And uh, today we're going to be talking about different different things with him on this show. Let's see what we've got. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? Hey, sure. I'm doing great, man. How are you hey, doing today? Great, man. It's been a long time since we had a last conversation, right? It's been a while, man. I've missed you. I've, I've haven't seen your videos in a while. I know you've been busy with other things, but it's great to to reconnect again. Great. And how's the work going on? Work is busy, man. This year, um, on the recruiting side, as in any other year, I've been doing this a little over five years now, and this year has definitely been the busiest. I think Salesforce has just continued to see exponential growth. And as that growth happens within the company, more customers are doing more things with Salesforce and needing more talent to get things done. So, what do you think exactly is contributing to the uh, like, like to the growth that uh, Salesforce industry is facing right now? That's a good question. Um, well, I think last year a lot of unknown was occurring in the economy with the businesses, whether or not they wanted to continue to invest in technology. And since all that was unknown and on hold. People weren't really doing much. Layoffs were occurring, budgets were being held up, or just not money wasn't being spent on new innovations and new growth and new technologies. And then, over time, as last year ended and this year started to pick up, I think this became the new norm. And I don't really like that term, but that's kind of what I saw over the last 12 months. And now all those budgets are being released. Continue uh, companies are continuing to want to innovate, do new things on their initial investment with with CRM, with uh, with Salesforce, and continue to build new processes, new automations, hiring new personnel, bring new system integrators in, and so whatever was saved last year from a budget perspective is being re-released now this year, causing the additional growth. I guess kind of my take on what I'm seeing, as well as kind of the new way of working, everyone being remote, um, that's causing a lot of changes in, in processes as well. And we need technology and Salesforce capabilities to be able to uh, achieve success using those new features and new functionalities. Got it. Do you think, uh, like the like, uh, okay, so uh, do you think that uh, like the demand and supplier ratio that's going on for the Salesforce talent is uh, like is facing a huge gap right now in the industry? Oh yeah, yeah, it is. Like anytime I do a search on on LinkedIn for Salesforce jobs, there's thousands of openings. Whether that's It's just integrators, or whether that's industry itself, or even Salesforce, right? There's just so many open positions right now, and all of them want experience, folks. And there's a sign of experience uh, individuals to go around, and so the the demand continues to be off the charts. The supply is slowly starting to get there, but there's still such a huge divide between those two right now. And I think companies are going to, and they've started, and they'll continue to do so. Um, relax the requirements some, just to continue to innovate on their their initial investment of of Salesforce, and just start to maybe train or retool those either in-house people that they have, or hire someone more junior just to get someone someone in the door, and then reskill them or train them up, etc. Because if everyone wants a seven year old seven year Salesforce veteran. To come in, there's only some of so many of those that are out there available. Got it. And uh, are you aware about Salesforce starting its own global delivery uh, service team? It's interesting you ask that. You know, with the with the acquisition of Acumen, 
And I've known some people that are in my network that have linked and went to Salesforce into their advisory and consulting services. So I think there is continuing to be additional movement there. Um, the question that comes to my mind is, what does that do with the partners that Salesforce already has? Does it leave a bad taste in their mouth, for example, especially the premier global partners, the, you know, the Deloitte's, the Accenture's, the, the IBM's out there, or even the smaller partners when, when Salesforce themselves are starting to recruit talent from some of these system integrators into their own organization, does that cause any animosity between the two? I, I, mean, you know, I haven't had any conversations with, with Salesforce employees about that at all, but that's just some thoughts that come to my mind when I started to see that acquisition with Acumen and then seeing employees or uh, talent being acquired or, or, or recruited into Salesforce into their advisory and consultants. That's a good question though. So uh, I myself is running as I uh, I think you are aware about it. I'm running Syntexa, which is again a partner of Salesforce, and we ourselves right. are we are not a big consultancy like Accenture and IBMs and stuff like that, but we yeah. we ourselves are facing this problem that Salesforce itself is acquiring uh, the talent of all of the partner, which which all of the partners have got. Uh, Probably because the market share of the Salesforce partner ecosystem is four times bigger than Salesforce itself. So, right. so if they'll they'll even capture half of it, I think that the, their valuation is going to be uh, almost tripled down to what it, it is right now. So I think that's that's the roadmap that they are headed towards. Do you think that's something uh, going on? I, I think so, but historically, and I don't want to throw this conversation into one one uh, bag in its own, but a lot of times product companies that also mix services in tend to not always work out the best, right? I think a lot of times we've seen um, other product companies try to get into the service world and they lose focus about what their core competency is. I'm not saying this will happen with Salesforce, but traditionally you kind of see some companies that try to do too much and when they do that, they kind of lose their brand recognition and have not really sure what they want their overall um, go-to-market to be. And so that may happen with Salesforce. You know, it's too early to tell, but um, I just think historically when companies tend to, to, to take on services on top of product development, it becomes a little, a little dicey as far as what the future holds. Makes sense. So okay, let's let's uh, skip this for a while. Uh, I just want to know a little bit about you. Like, how does a job? Uh, how how does a day in your job looks like? I mean, what exactly do you do? Yeah. So since we're re remote now and Imperial staff, uh, you know, our company's small. Um, we're all Houston based. We have a couple of sales folks. We have a couple of recruiters, and then uh, we all have a, a daily call and we talk about open positions. Uh, what may have come in through the day yesterday, and where we stand on open positions. Um, conversations we're having with talent, what we're seeing in the marketplace, what challenges we're running into, uh, what priority are, priorities are of certain positions that we're working on. Um, and so after that call is over, it's only a 20 to 30 minute call, and usually each of us independently are working on our own our own things, right? So um, you know, my focus is pretty much Salesforce, and so I'm either usually talking to clients as far as what challenges they're having in the market, what they're, you know, what they need help on. And then I'm also playing the recruiter hat as well. So I'm also reaching out to talent, uh, getting their resumes, having meaningful conversations with them, uh, discussing offers that are being made to them, consulting them as far as I think it's a fair offer, what's the benefits, 
um, doing negotiation for them. So, you know, every day is, is different for me, um, Shrey, as far as what it could consist of, but it's always exciting and I enjoy talking to people, whether it's customers or candidates. And so, um, and I'm always like to have that consultation type of conversation when it comes to recruiting. And I think that's takes me a little bit of a different mindset than the traditional transactional recruiters out there um, because I enjoy you know, kind of doing what I do and spreading my knowledge and my conversations and what I would do if I was in their position, if they need some guidance or some help or some some advisement as far as when it comes to salary innovations or looking to market what, what current salary uh, ranges are, what am I seeing for PTO, what am I seeing around travel, what am I seeing around regards to the COVID situation and with clients wanting people to come into work in the office, immunizations, all that type of stuff kind of goes into these conversations that I'm having with both clients and candidates. Great. And uh, I, I I have a, uh, one another question for you. And that is, sure. you have an experience of 10 years. We happen to know about this as well. Uh, it's, it's a great story that everyone would uh, love to hear about you. That you've got, a, got an experience sure. of being a CRM consultant of more than 10 years. Right. And after that, right. you switched your profile from being a consultant to a recruiter. How came that happen? Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just... So I was in the grind for a long time, right? And I say in the grind, I mean in delivery mode, right? Consulting, working weekends, working late nights, doing deployments, um, getting hit broadsided with new requirements and changing clients' expectations and being in meetings all day. And it was fun. I really enjoyed the work and I gained a lot of skills and, and had a good salary and was traveling the world, working for some big consulting firms. I even went independent for a number of years as well. And I started to get a little burned out, right? I was just ready for doing something different. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um, and I figured I would try and be, and put an entrepreneur hat on and figure out what I could leverage as far as what I did in the past and maybe be able to be successful at something different and still keep technology as part of my focus. So I still like to talk, you know, so I took about things about what I enjoy doing. I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy having uh, spreading knowledge, right? I enjoy writing. I enjoy uh, podcasts. I enjoy social media. Um, all those things and take that along with the technology spin about my, my experience with CRM and integrations and being a developer and architect and all those things and trying to combine all those things into something. And I just realized that recruiting probably was a good stepping stone in the right direction to be able to achieve the things that I had known in the past and also be able to leverage that for the future. And then, you know, when I was at Accenture, I was a career counselor. And part of that was essentially helping newcomers that were just starting out in their careers, get some guidance, some bearings, and some understanding about how to succeed, right, in their career success around consulting. And so that was a way for me to leverage also what I knew and help others that were just coming out of college or just transitioning into consulting or even the Salesforce or CRM as a whole. Um, and so I wanted to continue to use that as well. And that's why a lot of times I speak to newcomers for resume reviews, mock uh, interviews. Uh, uh, my posts on LinkedIn are usually towards Salesforce newcomers. Just felt like I had a lot to offer. And plus also with recruiting, it gives me a little bit more of, um, uh, of a balance, right? I don't have to, my day can be parsed out however I need to. I'm married and have a kid at home. I need to leave in the middle of the day to go from school, for example, or I have something else going on. I don't have to be behind my computer all, all the day from 8.30 in the morning in the afternoon, being on calls day in and day out, um, being in client meetings. I can kind of self-direct my day a little bit more 
give me some autonomy. That doesn't mean I work any less. I'm still working as much as I used to probably on the weekends and evenings, but I'm able to dissect my day a little bit better so it can still work within my personal life. Got it. And uh, while you're dealing with uh, the boom in the Salesforce market right now of consultants and developers and architects and God knows what all profiles are there, do you even think about getting back uh, onto being a Salesforce consultant or being a Salesforce architect or something like that? Yeah. You know, I've, I've thought about it, Shrey. I still do trailheads and I still try to stay uh, educated in, in the technology as well. You know, read the release notes, doing trailheads. I've thought about it, um, but then I always tend to continue to lean towards what I've been doing just because I enjoy it so much. I think if I've been doing it for so long now, almost six years, I guess a little bit over five years now, that if it were to fall apart and I didn't couldn't help anybody else and there was no new open orders and I couldn't make a living doing recruiting, then I would possibly step back into doing um, Salesforce consulting. And and since you and I talked, I had an opportunity to, to buy into a Salesforce consulting partner called the Nuage Group based out of the suburbs of, of Houston. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm a partner there and I'm still doing sales and a little bit of project management there, but it's only a small percentage of my day. So I'm still getting not too far removed from the day-to-day delivery side of it, um, but I'm still dedicating a majority of my time still on the recruiting um, and the sales side of the peer staff. So I'm still, you know, I'm still able to balance both, I guess. Um, and if for re- some reason that the recruiting just, I decided I'm, I'm burned out, I want to do something else, then I probably would step back into consulting full-time or do something like that. Got it. Uh, you know what? In India, there are a lot of recruitment people who want to become a Salesforce developer or a Salesforce consultant just because of the right. compensations that a Salesforce developer of a relatively few years of experience is like the compensation which a person of very less years of experience is getting is mm-hmm. way higher than 10 years of experience into recruitment. And they're thinking that what are we doing over here? Why aren't we learning this technology for which we are recruiting a lot of people and for which we know how to actually do uh, like sure. how to actually learn and how to actually navigate our career because we are actually trying to help other people do that so why don't do yeah. it for ourselves so what have you got to say for them i think that's i think that's a great way to look at it right i mean if you don't it's, it's opposite of what i've done right but i came from a technical background with a school uh for information systems had a programming background and so um, I think if I came from other direction, I probably would feel the same way as well. Like hearing about, and we talk about this internally within Imperial staff too, because the recruiters that we have on staff come, don't come from a technology background and aren't programmers. And like Salesforce developers are making this and Salesforce architects are making this. I'm in the wrong career. I need to transition my career into something like that. So they know that the salary is better and then that the, the, um, the demand is higher as well. Um, but here's the thing about Salesforce that has become um, open to anybody, regardless of what your background is, as long as you're willing to dedicate and get educated and, 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 and learn and be able to explore opportunities and take some blows along the way and understand you'll get knocked down once in a while. But over the long, long term, there's going to be a lot of prosperity uh, for you and your career if you decide to take that career path. So I think is there any recruiters out there that are interested in jumping into that? Um, by all means, I think there's there's plenty of opportunity to be had. You know, it doesn't have to be recruiting. It could be, you know, whatever your field is that you're currently in, whatever industry your your, your role is in. Um, there's been a lot of dynamics that's changed over the last, I guess, five or ten years. Whereas in back in back in my day, again, I don't like to say that I'm that old out of the industry, but 20 years ago, 
you know, if you want to get a career in IT, usually you had to have an IT degree, right, or relevant work experience. Whereas now, I think the playing field has really been leveled where you don't have to have that same background and you can self-train with either these boot camps or, you know, using Trailhead or other ways to earn your own education and be able to market yourself into a Salesforce developer role or admin role, et cetera. Got it. So uh, I have a simple question. Like, let's say there is a guy called as Peter. Peter is into uh, recruitment. Uh, so Peter is just starting his his or her, uh, his career, and uh, he what he see, uh, so he has got two options. Number one, he can get into recruitment, and number right. two, he can get into Salesforce as an ad, as a right. developer or as an admin or whatever. And in the relevant five years, yeah. which profile do you think he'll be able to make uh, more for himself uh, in terms of skill set, in terms of compensation and everything? That's a good question. You know, with with recruiting, it's commission driven, right? So you're, a lot of times, most companies that I know of, you got a base salary, and then you're commissioned, right? And so your commission though has no ceiling to it, right? So the, the more that you're going to hustle and the more that you're going to put into it, you have the opportunity to make, you know. So if 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 the, if the conversation is driven financially only, let's just take it that that direction. That I think going down the sales and recruitment path, there's there's just it's it's endless, right? Because you won't you cannot ever peak out. Now you get might get burned out, but as far as there is no ceiling as far as how much you can make from a commission side. Whereas with Salesforce developers, right now, you know, if you're five years in, I won't say you're capped, but the you know you, once you get to a certain level, your gradual growth from a salary perspective is only a small percentage, right? Um, and then eventually you're going to have to get into being a PMIT or a CTO or own your own company or going into independent con- contracting, right? And so going that route, there's still a lot of prosperity there as well. Um, it, I guess it really depends on what what drives you emotionally and, and what do you feel like you, you know, how do you want to devise your day, right? And if you want to be just the best technologist that you can be and continue down the Salesforce career ladder, I think there's plenty of opportunity to be as successful as you want to be with that. If you get a little bit older, such as where I am in my career, other things that are priorities for me, and it's not just the financial side of the house, it's also personal well-being, um, my health, uh, extra size and care of my family and so those aspects change the dynamics um, as far as where I want to be in my career and what I want to do long term um, so that's kind of my take on it. I don't know if that answers your question directly but it kind of gives you a little bit of options on both sides I mean both can be as equally gratifying um, regardless of what path Peter wants to take I think he can still see success I think the one with recruiting takes a lot longer to find success than with Salesforce developer, like Salesforce development, you know, you can, after a year or two, you're making very good money, right? Whereas recruiting, it may take four five, six years before you get to maybe where you would be as a two or three year developer, right? Because um, recruiting is hard, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot of recruiters out there, right? There's not, a, I don't know if there's a huge demand for recruiters, right? But the the uh, the playing field is very competitive, right? And so, how do you, you got to figure out how to make a brand for yourself, how to make a name for yourself, how do you give value back to the community without expecting anything in return? 
So there's a lot more give than take to be successful in recruiting, in my opinion, whereas more Salesforce development is personal satisfaction. And, you know, and I still, there's still there's some mentorship and there's some guidance and things like that, but majority of your day is going to be building new skills for yourself and being a developer versus recruiting. It's, you know, there's only a limited amount of skills that you can I mean, gain in recruiting, but you have to figure out how to figure out other ways to do how to be successful, right? So whether it's writing or blogging or doing podcasts or somehow being your own brand to be successful in recruiting. Um, so again, just a few more different options there for you. I, I think success lies in really the eye of the beholder and what they want to do with their careers. So, uh, so like since you've talked about personal brand, uh, how much do you think yeah. personal brand matters uh, when you're applying for a new job or for a new role or for a new position, or uh, even if you just want to be a solopreneur or whatever, you just want to do your own thing, how much importance does a personal brand, uh, like how, how much importance there is for a personal brand, uh, no matter what you're doing? Yeah, I think when you're a solopreneur, there's a lot more that's needed for branding because, you know, you have to, usually you want customers to, to come to you and you got to have a personal brand for that to happen, right? For them to recognize your work, what your skill level is, what your recommendations are to make sure they're, it's going to be worth their time to reach out to you and ask for your assistance versus personal branding when you're applying for positions and not a solopreneur, but you're an employee at a company. It's still important, but not as important because, you know, you should still have a good LinkedIn profile. Maybe you want to blog out there maybe you want to advertise your certifications and show some of your showcase some of your work when you're an employee but because that's going to help you get your resume to the top of the stack when it comes to competing against other employees that are other candidates that are also applying um, so I think depends on where you are in, in the ecosystem about what you want to do uh, versus how much of a brand how much effort and energy you want to put in towards your personal brand got it uh, okay so Basically, what I understood out of it is, uh, so if you want to be a freelancer, solopreneur, or uh, you just want to do your own thing, a personal brand is uh, is a very, very much required thing that you need to have. Uh, but when it comes to uh, applying for a job, it is not required as such, but it's uh, it's an added benefit that uh, like that takes you to uh, to the door, like that that helps you get farther away from the other candidates who do not actually carry a personal brand. And, uh, that's and, right. That's right. When, you're, when you're a solopreneur or you're, you're running your own company, because that's kind of what a solopreneur is, you got to be able to market yourself, right? And so branding is essentially just marketing yourself and being able to figure out how to do that successfully. Companies will recognize who you are and what you do. Um, and then have that inbound leads come towards you. Unless you have also, you, and if you're doing outbound sales as a solopreneur, then that's another piece of it. That's not just branding, but that's also doing cold calls and cold emails and things like that. So people recognize who you are. But I think when it comes to branding and marketing and expecting inbound deal flow to come, to come in, um, that's where the branding comes in. Whereas an employee usually going outbound and applying for positions. Got it. And uh, do you think that uh, having a personal brand for a person who's looking for another job adds on value to the company that he or she would be uh, joining? Like let's say there is Peter. Peter has got a personal brand. He runs a blog and he's pretty much known into the space and he's looking for a new job. And now there are two companies X and Y. So do you think the, uh, like the, like, like the company will uh, cash out more if they'll get the guy who has got his own personal brand, uh, 
uh, if they hired that person like yeah, next company is looking yeah, yeah sure sure that's a that's a great question and I, and i think so you because if this individual is good at branding themselves they probably can also do a good job of brand or working with the market you know so their the role won't be just coming in as a salesforce developer or an admin you know if you want to have that later responsibility saying hey peter you're doing a great job branding yourself and you know what it takes to be recognized in the crowded space we as a company need your intelligence need you know need to understand where you've been and how you've been able to succeed in personal branding and talk to our marketing department about how we can also apply those principles that you apply at an individual level to more of a corporate brand perspective and so by all means i mean i think a company would be foolish not to take peter up on his skill set not just from a salesforce technology perspective but also about how he built a personal brand and and i think that helps uh, that particular company whatever the x or y uh, whichever the peter joined uh, that helps that company attract more of the talent as well because if uh, someone who's carrying a personal brand joins a company called like x company then in that case more people would be willing to join this x company because they'll be considering that as a good company i guess that's exactly right let's say for example peter has 15,000 followers on linkedin right and chris has 500 followers on linkedin okay if peter posts a position on his company's behalf trying to recruit talent I think he's going to have a lot more success with his followers versus what Chris is doing because he doesn't really do anything. He doesn't have a personal brand. He's only got a couple hundred followers and no one really knows who he is. Peter is going to also be a value added asset to the company for recruiting talent as well because Peter's been creating his own blog, he's been creating his own YouTube stations, he's been up old. and so whatever he does, people are listening to what his what his thoughts are, right? Cuz he's socializing those. um and then they also know that hey if peter is is successful and look at what he's done in his career i want to work with peter i want to work for whoever peter you know peter made a good choice of going to this company he's not you know he's a smart individual and he's he's made some good choices in his career i want to be like peter so maybe i can also apply to where peter is working at and he can kind of be a mentor for me or teach me a little bit more about my career along the way so oh uh- Yeah, this this is exactly I think what happens, and you have uh, you agree to that as well. Yeah. Okay, so I have an I have another question for you, and that is, you carry a personal brand for yourself, and that's an amazing thing that you have built, uh, especially on the LinkedIn platform. Uh, you're I I guess you're you're the only recruiter who is carrying uh, this much uh, of uh, like this much of fame uh, in in the Salesforce space. So, what advice do you have for someone who is also willing to or who who also wants to have a personal brand for themselves? uh but are not able to actually figure it out that how can they yeah I mean, how how they can actually start with yeah. that you know that's a good question right i, I think you just got to start somewhere right and i don't know where that somewhere is and only the individual needs to has to figure that out themselves and there's going to be some some turns along the way and i don't have it all figured out right and i've been doing it a long time but what i did do is a commit i committed to myself that I was going to write something on LinkedIn on a daily basis. So come hell or high water, you know, I'm sometimes I'm away from my desk or I'm on vacation, I'm going to get up and I'm going to post something on LinkedIn cuz I decided that's going to be my mode of communication to the world, right? And I dedicated to myself to do that on a daily basis. Um but understand I didn't have it added out when I first started. I was doing some videos here and there. I was doing some one-liners. I was posting someone else's articles or I was doing other things. Um 
but for me, I use things that I knew about in the past and leverage that information and my knowledge to push me and excel me forward in the race. So I think anyone who's thinking about building a personal brand, analyze where you've been and what you've done and what experience and knowledge you have and share that with the, with the world. And you'll get some feedback along the way. You may get a little bit of criticism or you'll get some, some trolls out there. Um, that's just part of, part the, of process. The, the process. Exactly. But, um, you know, you're not going to see success unless you step out of your comfort zone and, and start doing things that make, make you feel uncomfortable. And, and, and you're not going to see a lot of success in the first week, month, even the first year of doing this. But over time, you will, if you're giving value out to the community, such as what, what you do, Shrey, and you know as well as anybody else does, that success occurs over time. But this, those chips have to stack on top of each other, and it takes a long time, and you've got to have some extreme patience and perseverance to be able to see it. Um, I don't know why other recruiters don't do it. I think there's a few out there that do it. Maybe not the Salesforce ecosystem, but other, other industries. Um, but it's definitely a way that you can stick out because there's not enough people that, that are doing it. Um, and I'm not saying LinkedIn has to be the only way you can do it. I mean, you could use TikTok or you could use Instagram or, or Facebook. I mean, there's a thousand different channels that are mediums you could use. I just chose LinkedIn because I felt the most comfortable there. You don't really see me on Twitter that often. I'm on there every, I don't know, once every few weeks. Um, I don't have an Instagram and I don't really, I'm not really on Facebook, right? And so I just needed to dedicate myself to one channel and that's what I advise anyone else to do to, you know, Twitter is a, a great medium for someone to use, especially if you're in the recruiting space. I, I found a Salesforce recruiter on, on Twitter a few weeks ago and he's, he posts something there every day. And so he's gaining a following and some momentum there and he's posting uh, thoughts and What's articles and, and, and whatnot. Um, I don't, I don't even know. I don't know his name. I haven't really, I just, he just came into my network a few weeks ago. Um, but I've kind of watched him a little bit and seen the traction and some of the posts that he's doing and he's gaining some momentum. Um, and so I don't, you know, he can, you know, that medium is what he wants to use and by all means have, have that. And so what my point is you just got to start to get focused at some point and you got to say, make a dedication to yourself that you're going to do, it doesn't have to be daily. It can be a weekly post, right? But you can't just stop and start because when you stop and start, you, you don't gain any traction or any momentum behind you. Um, when you're trying to build up a following and build up a personal brand, like now for Shrey, it's a little bit different for you. You've been doing it a long time and you took a little bit of a break, but you know, you haven't, you haven't went anywhere. And so as soon as you start back up again, I'm sure everybody's going to be re-engaged again with you and it's going to be like nothing ever happened. But when you're first starting, as you know, um, people got to know that you're for real, right? And that you're sincere and you're loyal and you're trustworthy. And then once that happens and you can't depict how long that takes for that to occur, it's going to occur when it occurs, right? And so it's taken me years and years because the recruiting space is not really the most trustworthy <laughs> industry to be in because of all the mess that happens with being ghosted and all that, right? And so um, that's why it may take me a little bit longer uh, to gain some, some traction in the space versus someone who's going to be a developer or architect or whatever, what, you know, whatever industry focus you want to have. So, uh, yeah, and uh, so you just talked about uh, being ghosted. Okay, before, the, uh, before this being ghosted thing, let's talk about this. Uh, by the way, yeah. you've given an, an amazing advice to all of the people who really want to uh, start putting out content out there. 
you have mentioned each and every point right yeah. in here this is a, a short summary which one needs to hear in order to start putting out the content over there i just want i'm just curious to know how it started for you so i think it started with doing some initial videos mm-hmm. so i did a couple of videos when i was going to dreamforce when i was going to um the local salesforce user groups um i think that's when i first started to do a couple of videos and they were like short 90 second videos or i was just walking in my neighborhood and something i thought came to mind and i did a video um and and then i think i posted a few articles i wrote a few articles whether they were book reviews i think i started with some book reviews just write some salesforce authors wrote a few books and i read the books and i did a few book reviews right and i still do those time to time too i don't that hasn't even canceled out of my repertoire of things i want to do but those are the first things that i started doing and then um then i just started to think and maybe even meditate a little bit in the mornings and think about things that have happened in my career or the conversations i'm having with individuals and start to write down notes and ideas about things i wanted to talk about and once you kind of focus in on that the the flow of conversations in your head start to appear comes up with new ideas new questions to ask and it took me a long time to get there right so i'm not saying you know it didn't take me years to be able to to, to narrow that in um and so that was just kind of my personal journey straight as far as some videos some book reviews sharing some articles that i i found on linkedin and then at, at some point in a transition that says most of my material that i'm going to share is going to be stuff that i come up with myself now it's not always cuz sometimes i do come into a, a you know a writing block was what they call it where i can't put anything good content out there for the day if i do get stuck with that once in a while then i'll have to find an article and i'll either read that and just put out some book key bullet points around the article about ways that i thought it was a valuable article um or i'll just share someone else's post or i'll come up with something else just stay active on linkedin on a daily basis um but writer's block doesn't you know cuz if you get past that and like i don't know if this is a good idea or not i'm just going to share it anyway just to get through the day and share something cuz the thing you have to think about is it may not be valuable to you but it could be valuable to one person and if you're writing it for one person to accept it and understand it and gain value out of it then you can call your day complete when it comes to to writing a, a daily blog at least that's what i've learned and that's why i hear the other professional bloggers who have consistently see success feel the same way that's absolutely correct and uh, you feel you feel uh, like there is a sense of satisfaction when you actually provide value to any other individual even if that individual is only one out there so that i i don't know what actually happens but you feel good about yourself so yeah did, did that happen to you as well exactly yes it's right it, it does it does and you know all of us have have an ego right so i don't want to take that out of the equation and the more acknowledgement i guess we get the the better sometimes we feel but if you feel like you can provide value to one person right well and they don't even have to like my post right if they read it sometimes i get you know people don't always like my test because they're they're worried about what someone else will see and i don't that's fine you know they may comment to me specifically on a, on a direct im and say chris man i really appreciate that post it really hit home i didn't want to comment on it i didn't want to like it cuz i was worried about what my employer would say but that's spot on to the way i'm thinking and when i see those then that tells me that i'm i'm, I'm doing the right thing right because it is it is helping people out but to your point Troy if you just get one person to acknowledge it and and it makes you feel better that you're doing a good job spreading knowledge out there 
great so let's talk about a, a, something different and a little exciting especially for me sure. and the audience that i have uh, on sales social channel and that is how is hiring different in us than in india like if you have a like sure. you must be having a good idea about it i guess what well, I, i know a little bit about the hiring in india because i think you have to put in like a is it a two month notice before you can leave your current employer is that the dynamics there or was in the us customary two tradition weeks. is mm-hmm. two weeks uh two weeks notice and some give a little bit longer if they feel like they need to some give less some give a week notice some say could be a friday afternoon hey boss man boss woman sorry but today's my last day this new company wants me to start monday morning i committed to that now that's kind of an unprofessional way of of going out you kind of burn some bridges along the way and the sales force ecosystem isn't that big so it doesn't take that long for your name to get out there that the way that you carried yourself when you decided to leave um wasn't very professional but then you also have companies that will terminate somebody the same day too right so it goes both ways um And so traditionally a 2 week notice period once you accept another offer but what I'm hearing and seeing in the space recently is that companies or individuals sometimes are accepting an offer but they've accepted an offer somewhere else in parallel and now they're deter- determining which one they want to accept and which one they want to go to and so they go to company A and accept that offer they accept the company B's offer they don't show up for company B when it's the start date they instead just ghost that company and go directly to company A which is something really unheard of so this is something that happens in US or this is something that you yeah that, i haven't had that experience happen to me directly um uh, but it has something that i've seen and heard talked about now what i've seen happen and happen directly to me is i had a uh, place an individual with a new company but that individual did not put it in his notice with his other company And so we decided to do is work both positions in parallel. And so that took about a day for the for the new employer to figure out what was going on because the, the individual wasn't answering his phone, wasn't being responsive to emails, wasn't on the, the calls that they had for the daily scrum meetings. And so the individual decided to do more than what I guess he could take on and I guess they gave him a few weeks to try and iron it out and eventually that he got, he had terminated from this new company because they realized he didn't really leave his old company. So that type of mess happens as well and that's something I've been directly affected with and I had no idea, you know, when when the individual tells me that they're leaving the current company to start a new company, you know, that assumption is that happened. Like I don't know how to verify that that happened other than trusting the individual that they said that they were going to do what they said they were going to do, right? And so if they do something anything else than that then it it really is a blemish on on them from a from professionalism standpoint uh, let me tell you one thing in india as uh-huh. well uh, this is something sure. that is happening a lot and in fact this thing is booming up uh, since this covid thing happened because of covid a lot of people are working yeah. remotely yeah. a lot of them are actually trying to pick up multiple jobs at the same time and in fact when they are interviewing for the for another position and when the final round comes up when the closing needs to happen what are they saying we are willing to work with you but we are not going to leave our job so why have you wasted this much of time oh, wow. of an interviewer as well as the recruiter who worked so hard for you to close for this particular company so this is happening a lot lot right now like almost everywhere and and you also are saying that in us also this is happening so yeah well i'm not i'm not hearing it i haven't heard that scenario where they have 
put the ultimatum on the new employer that says, uh, you know, not to tell them. Like, basically, you're saying that the, the new hire is telling them, telling the new employer that they're not leaving the old company and they can either take it or leave it. I haven't heard that, but you know, anything can happen in this day and age. Um, but I instead, I think they're trying to do both. At, at the same time, without telling. Yeah, I mean, this this is something that is also happening. I mean, I mean uh, apart yeah. from uh, what, what yeah. you said that hap that is happening in over there, uh, this is also happening. Like people are saying that I I I am working with this company, yeah. but I can do it uh, part time for you, or uh, I can do it for you. I can manage both the works mm -hmm. because I'm doing it remotely. I do not have uh, to worry about uh, any of the employers at the end of the day. So yeah. Mm -hmm. And they want to make mm -hmm. more money out of right, it. Right, right. And, and, and here's the thing that the demand is so great that maybe some employers are willing to accept that just to You're get absolutely the work done, correct with that. Right? It's yes. like, <laughs> so it is. And, but, you know, I've had contractors who have started a new contract position and felt like they could take that contract position as well as two or three others. And then the same scenario happens. Like the employers, most of the time they're going to they're going to terminate the contract because they need this individual dedicated 40 hours a week and if they can't be dedicated to get the work done then there's no they'll rather just come to me and say chris let's let so and so go find me a replacement versus trying to um you know the contractor market is a little bit there, there's there i guess there's more luxury to be able to do that because there's there's more talent to be had when it comes to contract and the hiring process doesn't take so long like i can get a, a contractor started within three to five days Right, yeah, a week basically. If they they interview them and go through a few rounds in, in two to three days, I can do a background check, I can do a drug screen, I can do an education verification. That takes three to five days if they're a U.S. citizen, and they get them started. Whereas the hiring process usually takes a little bit longer to negotiate the salary, um, get them to acknowledge the the, con the 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 offer letter, go through the background checks, and internal personnel, and all that stuff. So that takes you know two to three weeks, of, you know, to, to go through that process. Um, but yeah, it's messy. I mean, the, the whole the whole employment side of the house right now, Shrey, with the with the remote um, and the COVID and the demand, like it's like a perfect Stop. storm right now. And so candidates are, you know, I get it. They're trying to be the perfect. This is the exact word right? that 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 justifies or that satisfies the situation that is going on. It's a perfect storm, a storm that's going on out there, and uh, even the employers and the clients do not have any other options just other than accepting. The conditions and the terms that the uh, individuals are putting onto them, but uh, how long do you think this is going to go on? Well, I, you know, based on Salesforce growth and the projections for the next few years, still, I think in Salesforce specifically, and if if you know, it's kind of catch twenty two for employers too, because if you think about it, they they probably don't always want to have remote employees, but employees only want remote setup, even post COVID. Like if this the new way of working, and and remote is going to be what the majority of, the of uh, job applicants want exactly want and employers you know and so this whole trust and again we're kind of calling out some very edge cases between you and i there's a lot of loyal people that are dedicated to one job and one job only and and so i don't want to feel like they're also getting motivated by the other people who are looking for multiple options at the same time so did they, they i mean i know this is I how know. it goes it's you're right it's putting up a bad precedent and but you know I, there was no way when I was working full-time delivery, I couldn't, I can't even balance one job, much less having two or three jobs at a time. I mean, one job enough is, is draining me mentally and, and, and emotionally doing what I'm doing 
Um, and on top of and being remote, and this was when I was on site on projects. If I was remote trying to manage that on top of two or three other clients in parallel, I don't I, I don't have the energy to be, to be able to do that. So the people that are doing it and are successful, you know, my hats off to them for, for being able to, to, to achieve that. But and then one of the things, right, I think a lot of times the work that's being given to the individual is not being done by the individual, right? So they're parsing it out to some other team members along the way. And so all they have to do is make sure that it looks somewhat in the ballpark of what needs to be done and passing it over as their own work or it's actually someone exactly. else's. And let me tell you what, uh, what is the employer's standpoint right now onto this? Uh, like, so we have, we have got a team of more than 150 people working with us. So I know a little bit about it, uh, that how uh, we, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, how we, we are taking care of all of these things. So let me tell you, uh, so what, what yeah. we do is uh, we are keeping three people on a position where only uh, like two people of average capability or one person who is really, really good at his work can do that job. And why we are doing that, let me tell you that as well. Number one, this remote thing uh, wants like more people to produce the same level of productivity that one or two people can do, right? Uh, we need three people to do that same work, uh, which can be easily done by one or two people itself because of the remote setting and everything, because a lot of time goes into the communication and collaboration itself uh, rather than the actual work, number one. Number two, due to the crunch of the talent that is going on right now uh, out there in the market, what we want is we want to replicate people as soon as possible and as much as possible because we are pretty much sure that we'll not be able to retain all of the people or in fact a majority of the people who gain experience along the time. And uh, when this experience, uh, yeah, when, when people start getting experience, they get a lot of other opportunities and they switch. So what we want is we want someone who has already, who already knows or who is already at the level of the person who is trying to leave so that we can take care of the job that we already have from one of our clients. So this is one of the reasons why we are having more people onto the same job that can be done by one or two people itself because of the higher demand uh, right now going into the market. And this is the same reason why people have less work in a day and we are not even realizing it because they are sitting at their home doing whatever they want to do. And they are just showcasing that we are working a lot, we are working a lot, but instead they are working on another job rather than the ones that they are assigned for in here. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And so with, with that type of setup though, how do you determine what to charge the client, right? Are you charging them for three individuals or one individual? Like you have to get, you know, you have to be creative, I guess, as far as how the output of three people translates into one billable resource back to back to the customer. So in, right? in, in this case, uh, yeah. like there are two choices. Number one, uh, either you take uh, an assignment as a project and you do that if the requirements are pretty, pretty clear and they're perfectly solid, which did not need any reshaping or anything, then uh, you take that as a project, put as many resources or as less resources as possible for you to deliver that job uh, in the time frame that is discussed or that is decided between you two. But if the work is in a agile model, then in that case, uh, if there are three people working onto a project, typically what happens is we charge only for two people, not more than that, or sometimes uh, only for one person, but the price is a little higher than the, uh, than the average price that we charge for. And that's how we are compensating everything. So, right. And I think this is exactly uh, how other companies gotcha. must be doing it. Because why a client would be paying more uh, to get that same job done? Uh, like he or she doesn't care about how many people you're putting onto that 
project uh, at the end of the day they want that job to get done if someone else can do it in with that's one right. person uh, that's right like you should also do it with one person so that's the way it's going on i guess yeah yeah what well, sounds like you've been able to to figure it out and had success with the amount of churn that's happening right now in, in the employment market and trying to make the best of it based on the circumstances you're yeah, and, and at the end of the day uh, i i think so i have an edge uh, uh like other than the people uh, other, other like i have an edge over other companies out there in the market and that edge is i have got a tra- i have got a training capacity not a lot of companies actually want to train people they want they don't want to invest into people so that's the that's thing right. that a lot of companies don't want to do and that's the thing that i have mastered along the years and that's the exact job which with, with which i started my career so i think that's pretty, that's why we are able to wow. uh, i mean yeah, yeah mitigate the things that are going on right now with every other employer sure sure now that's that's spot on Trey, as far as bringing new talent in and and training them up and then to be able to deploy them under some mentorship or someone that's a little bit more senior to be able to get the work done. I think that model works well. I think it also works in the consulting world in the US. I don't really see it happening too much on the industry side. Maybe it happens a little bit here and there. Um, but basically, you know, the model that you're running is a very uh, sustainable one and it gives those newcomers an opportunity that they may not would have gotten yeah, because, otherwise. Uh, so you must be having opportunities from a lot of companies uh what is the ratio of uh, freshers getting the job and experienced people getting the job like how how would you rate that what is the ratio yeah well so well companies don't really hire me from an external recruiter standpoint for 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 newcomers for freshers they just they they typically will find that through other means i mean by posting on linkedin or know their network or know somebody that knows somebody so what happens when i get pulled in is going to be typically for those senior level personnel that their internal recruiting department couldn't find the hiring managers don't have the time to, to hunt for it that and they're willing to pay me a, a recruiting fee to be able to find those people right and those people are usually few and far between they're getting hit up all day every day by recruiters and by internal recruiters and by hiring managers and so you know that's where i get pulled into a recruiting obligation or um, opportunity essentially um for the freshers you know sometimes i get hit up by people on my linkedin network say hey chris if you know anybody that has 6 months experience i'm not willing to pay a fee for that but if you could share that position with your network or uh know somebody who might have that experience can you do a virtual introduction and i'm always willing to do that cuz i think what goes around comes around and I think eventually that person who's a hiring manager even though they can't pay me a recruiting fee for this position maybe they can in the future or they'll go somewhere else and be able to use my services so I'm a big fan of of showing that that loyalty and and being able to help those that need help um but as far as day-to-day recruiting on on the fresher side those just aren't typically that I get given to me from a recruiting standpoint um But the one thing I I do do a lot of times is when I have newcomers come to me and say, "Chris, I'm interested in this company. They have a position open. I see you're connected to two or three individuals there. Could you go ahead and do a LinkedIn introduction to those so I can get to know them, hear a little more about the projects they're working on, about the company, about the industry?" And so by all means, you know, you should leverage a recruiter that's willing to do that just to give you a step up in the process. Great. Uh so okay. 
I I kind of understood uh, how the hiring thing goes on uh, in the US and uh, I can compare that uh, to India but I have a very interesting question for you which a lot of people uh, sure. want an answer for and that is a lot of people from India are looking or, or want a job in USA is this yeah, something yeah. possible and if yes then what's the road map or how, how's the road map uh, how the roadmap looks like and uh, what are the yeah. prerequisites or what are some things that they need to work upon in order to get that because and you must be you there, there yeah. must be uh, must not be a single day in your life in which there uh, there's no <laughs> person from india reaching you out to get a job in usa right yeah i, I get that a lot whether it's india or or europe or the philippines but india more than than mm-hmm. others um are asking for that and it's not really a space that i I play in because I have never in five years had a client say, Chris, we want to recruit someone from India to the US. We'll sponsor their visa. We'll take care of getting them over here. We'll take, you know, we'll, we'll do all that. That's a lot to ask, right? And so they'll just try to find a US citizen or H1 that is already here to be able to sponsor or whatever. So from a direct relationship standpoint, I don't, those those opportunities, I don't know if they even exist, right? But if you are someone in India looking for an opportunity to come to the U.S., a couple of things come to mind. If you're currently working for an employer that has offices in both India and the U.S., and you've already put some time in to that employer, let's say a few years in, can you see if there's a transfer opportunity to be able to come to the U.S. and work, right? And you may have to ask, 10 times before it actually goes through. But if, you, you know, if you're dedicated to the position, you're dedicated to the company, you have some loyalty there, having to ask every couple months to see if an opportunity happens to come about, that could be one way. Um, the other option is to come to school here on your master's, right? Again, again, and then after your master's, you have OPT, right? And then you have your OPT What's for OPT? two to three years um, after graduate. Um, optical, pre- uh, uh, practical, so, so I think it's option, something like practical internship. training. Um, it's like, exactly like an internship, but after you graduate from the U.S., uh, if you're a foreign student, you get a, I think it's two two years with an extension for a third year to work on OPT in order to be, be basically work for an employer in the U.S. without getting sponsorship, right? So the employer will take you on and pay you a salary, you're basically an employee, right, for two to three years on this OPT status um, before you need a valid H-1 work status to work here after that. Okay, again, I'm not, I'm not United States Customs Immigration Services, but this is how I understand that it works. So that's another option. And that's an option that tend to work out for most people, right? So be able to get to school here on a master's degree, and then from there, uh, be able to work in an OPT type of setup. Or the TCS, the Cognizant, the Wipros of the world. There's a lot of folks in the U.S. that have worked for those companies and also, also have transferred from India to the U.S. or have worked for those companies after they continued, they finished their master's degree in the U.S. as well. So that's another option. The other option is get married to a U.S. citizen or green card holder in the U.S., right, which will make you eligible to work in the U.S. as well. So that's an option that I don't want to ignore. I'm not sure if that's the right option to be able to choose, but I know that it happens. 
And I know people that have done it before, so I know it's a valid approach, maybe not the most legal approach to take, but it is a approach. Um, yeah, so it's hard, right? You know, I, I get it and I understand it. And um, it's just not, there's not really one particular path that individual can take to, to find success. But I think that the masters, I see more people Optic for uh, finding success than others, yeah. And uh, have you seen this uh, third option happening? Uh, like, ha have you came across a situation in which someone uh, married someone who is a US citizen just to get a job in US? Yeah. For sure. I mean, a lot, of, and a lot of times those are arranged marriages, right? So they're arranged marriages mm -hmm. and, and the individual was from India. Then he came to the U.S. and he or she had been here for 15 years and now a green card holder or U.S. city and they have an arranged marriage and someone back in India and they come back and they're a married couple now. And then there's, there's a certain status they got when that happens too, that, that the individual, the, the, the spouse is in. Um, but I know they're legally able to work under those conditions as well. Um, you know, and not to get too down in the, into the black market, but I know the services that are out there that will also, you can, there's third party services that I've heard about. I've never, you know, paid any attention to them that would actually, you pay a service to get you married to come over to the, and again, I'm not sure. Obviously it's not, it's not legal. And I think, you know, you'll probably end up, if you got, if you've got found out about, you get deported and there are some legal sure hazards that you may have some financial yeah, it can go into imprisonment. There's just a lot that goes on in that situation, but you know, I've heard that it happens, something like great, that. Great. Uh, amazing. You may want to edit that part out of your video. What? Right? what did you say? <laughs> I said you may want to edit this piece of your you video. You want me to edit out, this so, out? You know, I don't want. I don't want the. No, I'm just kidding. I don't care. I'm just saying the immigration services maybe give me a call here in a few weeks. They hear Probably this video. not. And even if they do, we are just discussing it. We are not doing it ourselves. <laughs> great, great. Uh, what was the funniest and weirdest thing that you have seen in your life being a recruiter? I mean, if you remember any of the, those instances, which was the weirdest situation or the funniest situation for you uh, as a recruiter? I mean, it seems like we're always hitting some unique situations. Um, I think one is probably not the most unique, but it is a situation where a company hires somebody and the individual that they did a video session with and confirmed to start wasn't the same person that showed up in the office on day one. <laughs> that, that happens a lot. Right? And so... And so that is a, 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 a comical, it's not really comical because I got to, I got to have a customer call me and ask me what, like I was, they thought I was part of the deal. I was like, I had no idea this was going to happen. The person that you interviewed, interviewed with is the same person I interviewed with. We have a Skype video, you know, we have the identification, the photo ID and everything between that person being interviewed and this person showing up at your front door, something, <laughs> something changed and I had no part of it. Um, so that's one unfortunate situation. That one has been a little while since that one occurred to me because no one's really coming into the office anymore. So it's been a few years. Um, How often do you, did you else? think that this happened? Just like, uh, like, it, it, I don't think it happens that often, but occasionally it, it will. Um, I don't know, one out of 
50, so, maybe, so something like that. And usually that's on contract. There, uh, contract which call themselves yeah. as training companies and they actually provide interview services. <laughs> always the charge the client and they show up onto the interview they dress up like the person uh, for whom they are giving the interview mm-hmm. they just wow. like look similar to that they give the interview they get the job uh, position and they send the other person and companies don't even realize and i'm telling it to you this happens a lot when the company size is really big when the recruiters or the yeah i mean mm-hmm. whosoever is part of the hr and the rec- uh, and the person who actually interviewed that person is never ever going to meet that particular person. Like let's say the TCS, the Vipro, Infosys, like these training companies actually provide the service uh, to get to help these people get into these companies. And once they are into these companies, I don't think there's a, there's a moment when they come back. Uh, I mean, all what they do is they get a job, they do it by just Googling it or uh, just take it, take, they just take the help from here and there. And if they are getting stuck, then they again charge these people to give the help required to do their job. And that's a job of a particular person. Wow. So so, so this wow. is an actual wow. industry that's going on. And yeah. I was actually shocked when I heard about this, that, okay, this is something that happens. And they told me uh, that, yeah, this is very common uh, here in, so, so there's a city in Hyderabad. Uh, uh, if if you are aware about it, it's very near to Bangalore, and it's again. Uh, so yeah, Google's office, Amazon's office is uh, all set up in Hyderabad in India. So there there are certain companies who are actually doing this, and they're charging hefty amount to do that. Wow, wow. you know, usually, and it's kind of a a toss up. If the company brings the individual on, and like they realize that this person can't do the work, that doesn't take long to figure out. Sometimes companies say, well, this is, you know, I don't want to hire again for it. So let's just keep that person busy and productive and have him, have him or he or she figured out along the way and let's be done with it. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of a bad situation for a company at the face as far as and what to do. So in this situation. happens a lot with the bigger giants where uh, like people do not even know mm-hmm. people more than their team, right? Because the company size is so mm-hmm. big, the right. one who interviewed probably will never meet yeah. that guy who or uh, like who he or she interviewed. So that's yeah, true. that's that's the right target for these kind of people who are looking for these services to get a job. <laughs> Man, we're giving all kinds of advice to the yeah, just trying out to. there. <laughs> how, how, to, how, to get, how to get married illegally, <laughs> how to get a job in, in a big company whether you're not on the skill set. I, I think what we're trying to, uh, like, uh, we're just trying to discuss what are, what are the things that they shouldn't opt for. I know, <laughs> I know, it's funny. <laughs> but anyways, the one who's going to figure it out, figure it out. That's right. That's exactly right. So I think that's the... Probably the the most awkward situation that that I've been in, um, but uh, there, you know, it's always especially with between the candidate signing an offer letter and starting, there's always things that can happen. Like sometimes we we lose candidates along the way. They decide to go somewhere else. They decide not to show up. They decided to stay with their current company. Uh, so we deal with that sometimes. Sometimes a candidate will go out to the market to find what their value is and interview and get an offer letter. And then use that as evidence back to their current employer to show what they're worth and stay with the current employer just to get a pay hike, right? So that's kind of an awkward situation. Like I recruit somebody, they're interested in the company, they get the offer letter, they decided that they want that offer letter just to present back to their current employer. And then I, I lose faith in the whole situation because of the, what the candidate did. 
Um, but I get it. You know, sometimes they have to show that evidence to be able to, to get a pay hike in their current position. It's just not really the most professional way to you go about it. You won't believe what's going on right now in um, India, in, especially yeah. into the Salesforce market. What people are doing is, uh, if they are working on X, right, uh, with uh, with an employer, let's say ABC, and then now they are going to a DEF company and uh, giving the interview. And after giving the interview, they are asking, uh, "I'm looking for two X." And this company says, "I I'm not sure we'll be able to give you two X or not." but we'll be giving you 1.8 no problem give it to me i'll uh, mm-hmm. they get the offer letter they go to now uh, xyz company and they show it to them that i have all i already have an offer of 1.8x from this particular company are you willing to give me 2.5x so they are like no i am not willing to give give you 2.5x uh, so okay no problem give me 2.4 okay no, we can't give you that okay give me 2.2 okay they'll get 2.2x and then they'll show it to their current employer i have got an offer from 2.2 are you willing to give uh, give me this much so this is going on a huge level and in fact one candidate has got offer letters wow. from at least four to five companies on an average who is seeking a job right now into the salesforce market in india and it's going like anything it's 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 happening like anything there are at least three to four offer letters which every individual has got in which all what they have done is showing the offer letter from one place to another to another to another to another and at the end uh getting the one which is paying them the most because they have they right now have the demand and uh, they mm-hmm. need the individual or they need the candidate at any cost and they are just giving it uh, it to them so that's that's wow. exactly ha- what's happening and it's really dirty that's going on right now what do you think is the side effect of this on that particular individual or or on that particular candidate like is is it is it a good thing to do or not i don't personally i don't i don't think so i mean because you you so you you as a company you decide to employ that individual what's to say two three six months down the road he doesn't pull he or she doesn't pull the same games again right i mean it just shows lack of loyalty and, and trust and professionalism along the way and i think a lot of employers will say i'm not playing this game right i this is our best and final offer Take it or leave it. If you don't want it, we'll find someone else. And and I know I say that very lightly because I know it's hard to find someone else with the same skill set of this particular person. But you know, at some point, you got to take a stance and draw a line in the sand and say, you know, we're not here to mess around with these shenanigans that you're pulling here. Enough's enough. Either you take it or you don't. There, you move on, and we'll move on and shake hands and go our separate ways. You know, but if you decide to employ someone that's already doing this from the onset, to me, the history might repeat itself in a few months down the road, and you got to go through that again. Like, why would you waste your time and energy as an employer dealing with that? And and to your point as well, if they you know they don't have any much choice. I'm like, well, that that might be that may be true to some extent, but I know in the U.S. the demand is as high as it's ever been, and and most professional hiring managers will tell that candidate go kick rocks basically down somewhere else because they're not they're not playing that but it's that's you know i just feel like what your worth is is your worth like if your employer is trying to lowball you on an offer letter then it wasn't the right opportunity go somewhere else that's going to hire you for what your salary and what your experience warrants and and don't play games going back and forth you know if it's too low it's too low and tell you know if you if you told an employer what you're looking for from the onset that would cut down the games altogether, right and so if the employer doesn't know then that's their problem in my opinion they're not you know they need to keep a, a pulse on the market 
And so if this individual is worth two times X, whatever they're, they're currently getting paid, then that should have been the offer that was presented to them at the very beginning. And this is my best and final offer. You can take it or you can go somewhere else and be done with it. And so I, I don't, you know, that's a tough situation. But, there, but sure. employees right now do not have, actually have a choice then to accept all of these things because they're uh, running short of... Uh, the people that they need in order to complete the job or deliver the job that they have already taken onto their plate. So now, even if uh, so, so th that that's why uh, the the market starts bleeding. That's how actually the market starts bleeding. Person from X come to Y co comes to Y, and person from Y comes to X, and this is the this is the whole cycle that goes around where everyone's bleeding, and there there comes a certain point in which everyone like everyone says or, or all of these companies X Y Z A B C. Everyone uh, like stops at a particular moment, and that's exactly when this will stop. But until unless uh, this demand thing uh, gets the required supply, I don't think it's gonna stop. And uh, people, people take take. <laughs> and but the, but the, yeah, the, the individual has to give a two month notice though, right? So if they do get hired somewhere, they have to stay with their current employer for at least two months. Oh, uh, depends. Correct? Depends, depends. Actually, depends. I mean, uh, okay. like. It, it completely depends on to the company that they're joining and what, what exactly are the policies of that particular company. There's no standard policy uh, thing that is there in India when it comes to a job. Uh, every company has got a different policy uh, altogether. So it depends. And yeah, that's, that's just a very rocky situation that you're, you're up against. Like, you know, I don't, in the US, I don't think we are at that point we're not that volatile, right? And so, you know, the, the candidates here would use my example as far as taking an off letter and go back to their current employer. But I don't think employers, most employers are going to entertain much more mm -hmm. than that, right? Meaning showing four or five different off letters for different companies and going back and forth two or three times with the individual. They just don't have the the luxury or the energy to be able to, to do that. At least that's what I, how I feel about the U.S. Yeah, I mean, so so, uh, and I think it it. Uh, let me tell you why this is happening and where exactly this is happening. The new generation of the workforce, especially the people of my age or relative to my age, uh, all what they care about is more money, less work. Mm -hmm. They want the maximum comfort. Mm -hmm. uh, forget about f professionalism. Forget about ethics. Forget about morals. All what we are looking for is the best money and the least work that we can get so that we can enjoy our life. And that's the right, that's the right motto that a lot of people are looking for. And uh, they're not actually thinking it in a longer okay. long term perspective. Everything everyone's thinking about a short term uh, duration in which they can uh, uh, like they want to earn the maximum money that they can. But they are forgetting this thing that if they they're, if they want to go long term onto anything or if they actually want to grow exponentially, they need to stick to one place, have some patience in order to build trust to the company or to the organization that for which they are working for, and. Only if you have the trust and loyalty and the ethics to work for that organization, then only you will be getting a position uh, to lead some other people or to lead something which will eventually put you in a position of the maximum compensation and the maximum responsibility name as well as the uh, power if someone is looking at, uh, looking for that. But a lot of people right now, so okay, uh, I, I, I had an interaction with a lot of people who are 10 years older than me or even 15 years older than me their mindset was completely different than the new like new generation workforce that's coming up. Their mindset was to get into a company, go to the top, 
like be there in a secure position at the highest compensation and do amazing things but right now the mindset is completely different right. people want to switch jobs as soon as possible in fact i have uh, a student of mine uh, i was having a conversation with her and she just said that uh, it's it's been 6 to 8 months now i think it's 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 time for me to switch again and i was like okay and i had no words to say to her because she 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 looked pretty determined about it i i don't know how i can actually explain them the power of uh thinking long term like we all want instant gratification every yeah. almost 99% of the people or 95% of, of the people of my age are looking for instant gratification in everything in their life everything they're not thinking about going long term <laughs> onto anything how do you think we can we can wow. help all of these people yeah that's hard that's hard I, I, it's hard to relate to unfortunately for me sure i'm i'm over 40 so i come from a different walk of life um i can't you know i don't have a lot to i can't just relate i just don't don't know it i mean i i see it and these conversations are helpful for you to help educate me on it um you know one thing that i see though in the us is hiring managers if they see a poor track record on your resume they're not they're not they're not interested they don't you know they will find someone else that has a little bit more loyalty and so the average i guess years of the tenure here is i guess 2 years 2 to 2 to 3 years as far as employment and when people are officially in IT and salesforce but if you have a track record for 4 to 6 months job after job company after company i'm even scared to present that individual unless i have a great story to provide to the hiring manager or to hr about why this individual is a job hopper i don't even feel like i don't feel comfortable presenting that individual cuz i know the first thing they they're going to ask me is like chris why is this person not showing any like professionalism or loyalty towards their current employer i don't want them to do the same thing to me and, and us spend a lot of time and energy and invest in this person and then them to leave in 4 to 6 months no thank you right and so but you know the new generation that may be the way of working and and companies are going to have to accommodate that like you're mentioning just to be able to get the talent in and we set expectations that this individual is only good for a, a short duration of time you know milk it for what it's worth both on the candidate side and the employee side and then when they part ways do it all over again but that just feels like you're you're losing a lot of uh integrity along the way and a lot of human capital within the organization when you have so much churn so uh i have a question uh, you, you're able to hear me right oh okay so uh, yeah yeah so uh, yeah, me? i have a like a uh, simple question on to this what would the employer do if the whole lot of the people or like all of the people out there of that particular uh, age are doing the same thing they have no other option than hiring all of these people forgetting about the integrity of the individual to stay in an organization because all of them are doing like this 90% of the people are doing like this in st- in fact they think that we are uh, we do not want to climb the corporate ladder we want to do things differently and in like by, and by thinking about it they are choosing the steps for which they'll get a nice growth or a decent growth in a short term but in a longer term they are actually hurting themselves professionally and i i, I see no uh, 
way of teaching all of these uh, people that what exactly is the value of staying in a company for a longer term or doing something amazing uh, for a longer term H- how it actually pays you off so i don't know uh, how to do that and right right that's a good point right it, well it's like if why don't you just become a contractor then and so if you're a contractor expectations are set from the onset right you're a contractor you, we we risk losing you you risk you risk losing us right and so we're now a little bit more on a equal playing field because contract labor can be cut off in, in a day and they can give you notice in, in the same day too so maybe that's the right approach as far as the gig economy goes and and for these uh up and comers who want to jump ship after a few months or you know six months where the case may be just to go in and be a contractor and so when they do that you know the, the company doesn't have unrealistic expectations about losing them and the contractor doesn't have unrealistic expectations about being cut loose if they're not performing or if the you know the project's over where the case may be so that may be what employers should do to help make up the difference but there are comparatively um, very less positions you know, of contractors than of uh, full time employees so and, and and not all of the people have got the right yeah, skill set to actually yeah. be a contractor you need to showcase the right skill sets to be a, to That's get a contract true. job which a lot of people are uh, are not capable of getting actually right and some things that companies are doing which i think is smart is to offer equity into the company that vests over time and so i have a customer right now who's a, a startup consulting firm and they're offered equity and it vests a little bit every month over a four year duration right and so you know they want people in it for the long haul right and so they're going to give a little piece of the overall valuation company mm-hmm. pie exactly to help i guess keep you there right and and the same thing like salesforce is the same a lot of the a lot of big companies that offer equity and stock options have people that are people not staying with that right? as well and they you know <laughs> they get bored no i I'm, i'm just saying that's that's an option right i mean some may not care about that but having the golden handcuffs is what they call it as far as just to try to keep people i think it does keep some people around um but to your point it probably doesn't work universally against all individuals regardless of, of so i i i highly appreciate you uh, picking up this topic which is golden handcuff i have been teasing this topic to a lot sure. of people for, in a <laughs> lot of different situations i would be very very happy if you would share what exactly this golden handcuff means uh, to all of the people watching us sure so in in my mind golden handcuffs are basically when you're with a company and they keep waving a new carrot in front of you right and trying to keep you there right so they're going to handcuffs basically the uh, the handcuffs they have you on or in keeps you employed there and they're golden because eventually that time you served at a company will pay off either through um you know equity payoff as far as getting dividends out of the company or the the company getting acquired by another company you get paid off your shares for that and so it's a way to you can't go to handcuffs because you can't go anywhere because they keep continuing to give you more to stick around for another year and another year and another year um just by dangling this you know carrot and stick type of behavior in front of you to keep you loyal to the firm which it, it, you know it, it's it's a it's a good way to 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 do things i guess if you if you want to invest in your people and continue to invest in human capital and let them know that they have a big payoff coming in the end. I mean, you know, pensions were a big thing in the US, they're not so much anymore, 
But a lot of companies, a lot of people would work for a company, especially in the public service sector, where you work there 20 to 30 years and you build a pension and that you can basically retire early because you've built out this pension fund that the company has paid into for you that will, well, yes, there's another form of 401k, um, which is called a pension essentially, because the 401k usually happens you know, within the first, um, when you first get employed, the employment match system. So you put in X and the employer puts in Y to be able to, to match your contribution. That's in the stock market. And then as well as pensions is just saying, like, if you work for a, a teachers often have a, a pension fund in the educational system here in the USA. If you work for 10 years and you retire, we're going to pay you $200 a month for the rest of your life because you put in your service as an educational um, uh, instructor, I'm making these numbers. I don't. I don't know uh, yeah, exactly but, but, what but the payoff that's are, how what the tenure is. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That you know, you put in your loyalty uh, in the educational system, and then and it's happened in it's happened in oil and gas in the in the oil and gas sector that I'm a part of here in Houston. I've had managers when I used to be in delivery that retire at their mid fifties because they had worked at a particular company for 25, 30 years. And when they retire, they get like 60% of what their salary was until they die, right? And so that was definitely keeping, because you can retire early, you can pay 65% of your annual salary, which is plenty to live on, and Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid and all the benefits you might have as a retired individual. That would definitely keep, again, this is old school thinking, right? <laughs> that doesn't attract really any, it, five it, it doesn't attract anymore talent anymore. All bet, all, all bets are off now. But today's need to have it right now. Let's, let's you know, give it, give it to me now. Or yeah, give yeah it to that, me that's all, the, that's the way it's going on. And uh, by the way, this is the same thing that happens in India. Uh, if you uh, like go into a government job, so the very highly skilled talent and very high, uh, like highly intelligent people in India, uh, forget about all of these other industries and just try to focus into getting a job into the government sector. Number one, because it's secure. You'd never get fired, mm. almost, and mm -hmm. until unless you do a crime mm -hmm. or something like that. And second thing is you get pension. Uh, so yeah, it's a safe and secure job, but I don't think uh, people of, new generation of people, I, I think we are uh, millennials and then Gen Zs, which are coming up, uh, are not actually looking for uh, all of these things. They want it all right now and <laughs> right here. Right. Well, I mean, uh, to each their own, and and if they have career success doing that, and that's the way that employers are able to handle their their the individuals' needs and 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 find success with that, then hey, the, the more power to them. Um, it's just a new way of thinking that I just haven't had a lot of experience with yet because of where I am and the hiring managers that I talk to are usually my age, and the people that are recruited are usually my age or close to it and you know let's just say 30 mm -hmm. 35 plus so kind of a, just a different way of working and operating and mentality and now if i stay in recruiting for another 20 years <laughs> i will have to you know i may start having to to experience some of the things that you're referring to and i'll just have to shift myself mentally to understand that paradigm got it uh, I have another question for you. Uh, can you tell me the number one reason that you come across uh, whenever you find a candidate who is willing to switch their profile? Like, let's talk about Peter again. There, there must be a lot of pe Peter that starts coming to you to look for another job or that are open to uh, for a newer job. 
what is the number one reason like amongst all of the other reasons because of which someone starts looking uh for a different job than the one that they're doing right now yeah a couple of things come to mind is one they're being paid under market right and so as we know typically in order to get your substantial pay hikes is going to be going to another company right and so that's probably the number one reason i think people are getting underpaid in their current situation to make a change cuz they know they can get a 10 15 20% pay hike going elsewhere now that's not to say they can't go to their current employer and tell them have a conversation with them and see if there's any way that they can adjust their salary to be able to stay put um but usually they find it easier just to go elsewhere than have that uncomfortable conversation or maybe they have that conversation and the employer says you know Chris come back to me 6 months or a year or two years down the road and we'll talk about it and like the employee saying well I don't want to wait that long like you're saying I'll just go ahead and find it now instead of waiting right um the other situation a lot of times uh, an employee goes into a, an opportunity expecting something expecting extra responsibilities right as to define for them that's what they were expected to do they get in and it's completely different than what was being told to them when they were going really going through the interview process right their responsibilities have changed they're doing something they're not even comfortable doing the the skip the requirements of them are just completely off the mark from where they want to go in their career then they'll start looking you know, they'll probably have a, they may have a conversation internally to see if they can get back on track if not then they will come to the mark job market and look for something else that more aligns with their level of uh, responsibilities and then there's also like i said third option is management change right they have some changes internally they have a new manager they have signed a different group of people um the dynamics of the work environment have changed causing them to look elsewhere now covid may be a good example where we're seeing some of the major companies in the us wanting folks to come back to the office well that doesn't sit so well with, with a lot of people and so we've seen this um um type of new mentality now that says if you want me back in the office i'm just going to go i'm not i'm not interested in that i'm going to go look for so it's called the great resignation you may have seen a headline about that over the last i don't know 6 months called the great resignation right now because of what employees are wanting what employers are wanting employees to do employees aren't having it they're going back to the job market to find something else that's going to be aligned with what they want to do as far as remote working capability. So I think those three or four options are what I'm seeing the most right now straight as far as why changes occur within an individual to make a move somewhere else. That's an amazing description that you have given in uh, in a, in like a sweet three points actually and the number one uh, which you said is basically they're looking for a hike. Number two what you have said you have said is they are not actually getting the opportunities that they thought they is that they're going to get. or that they were promised that they're going to get and the th- uh, third one that you said is a change in management right. which they are not comfortable with that's the one uh yeah. what i think uh, in the in the number one is uh, people are not and and you said that as well uh, people are not not willing to have the conversation with their current employer uh like and and just yeah. and, and 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 i'm telling it to you uh, it is it is way easier to go to your employer and ask for more responsibilities uh, in in terms of the compensation increase and a lot of people who actually want to grow more and uh, actually cares about their people would be willing to give them the hike that they are looking for and a lot of times it doesn't happen as well 
if the person uh, is like i mean there are different dynamics which works around but i think if 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 the if the employer is actually looking to grow and is act, uh, is like is the one who actually cares about the person who is working with them and the if the person who is working for the ex company and going to the employer and asking that i am willing to take up more responsibilities uh, and i am just willing to get this this much hike uh i think a lot of people would be willing to give that but there is one part that uh, i think like gets missed when they want a hike they go to the employer and they show the show another offer letter and they say that okay this is what we are getting right uh, now in the market are you willing to give this or not so this is this looks like uh, someone putting a gun on your head like pay me this much money or i'll leave i think this is a bad way of going about it rather than what they should do is sir i am uh, whatever like uh, like let's say i am working for you so i'll come to chris chris uh, look uh, i mean what do you think about uh, how my performance is going on so chris mm-hmm. is like okay you doing decent fine what do you think are the thing uh, are the things that i can improve on or i can what are the responsibilities that you think i can take on that will uh, relieve some of your stress or that will actually help us grow our organization if the, the like if if individuals right. or candidates will have these two simple questions asked from their employers and in like in in exchange of that if they're willing to look uh, willing to get a hike into the same organization i think they'll be able to get that but a lot of people are actually missing this point uh, instead of what they're doing is they're just putting gun onto the current employer and asking are you willing to give this uh, give this much money to me or not if not i'll be leaving thank you yeah yeah and at that point the employer knows that you've already looked elsewhere So it's like you're doing things mm. backwards instead of being upfront about the situation and and what you're looking for. Like if you go to the employer first and they say, "Sorry, Trey, you know, we can't do anything about you. I appreciate your performance. There's some other things that I'd like to see you do. Let's revisit this in 3 months." Then that may not be the exact answer you want to hear, but it's at least you've planted the seed in my head that you're not completely satisfied with your current salary and responsibilities. So I need to have it as a good employee, as a good employer and manager and leader to start thinking about what I can do to keep you. Right? And so now it's on me to you know, I, I need a little bit of time, right? I need I need some I need 3 months or 2 months or whatever it is to be able to figure out what I can do to get you a higher compensation. And so either you can believe where, but if we have a good relationship and there's trust there you know i might need to have you know let's say i need 3 months mm-hmm. in a month down the road try to forget about you i'm still working on this i have a few more executive discussions i need to have i'm pretty close month 2 straight and i'm not saying bleed this out for eternity mm-hmm. but you know put a specific time frame around when we can make this happen and show me some checkpoints along the way it's like a project right give me some milestones to show me and prove to me that you're working on this. It 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 because makes a lot you're of held accountable for. Anything anything else is like just you know wishy-washy conversations that don't mean false promises actually. But if you can exactly, but if you can hold the manager accountable and you also have some accountability about doing new things, adding new responsibilities and showing you know kind of your loyalty and what you're willing to do, then that conversation is a lot easier to be had than kind of going off the deep end and interviewing and getting job offers and presenting them back to the employer and creating animosity and friction along the way. Got it. Oh, 
great <laughs> i i think we have debunked all of the process that goes on into uh, into like this employer employee setting and that's a great way of uh, looking at it okay so i have got couple of questions more i'll not take much of your time we have already we are already done one and a half hour uh, i think it's going pretty good for me uh, how about you good yeah no it's good i enjoy yeah. it Okay so uh, I have uh, another question for you uh, which is a which which, which I uh, want you to describe in steps uh, and that is what exactly a fresher can do uh, to get into the sales force market uh, to get their first job because it's actually very difficult to get a get an entry into this industry uh, then to get another job while you're already an experienced professional right so for the newcomers I'm a big fan of again I'll say this again showcasing what you're learning right and and putting it out into the public forum because you know just getting a certification or a trailhead unfortunately that isn't enough anymore that may have worked i think in years in the past but it's also you being able to build out your own applications and your own solutions to problems and you got to think of your own problems to, to put a solution around too and there's plenty of ideas you can find out there as far as putting you know building a new application in salesforce building a new crm based on something that's happening in your personal life um i've seen plenty of people find success by building out their own applications creating a youtube video around it showcasing it out to the public continue to build upon it and enhance it to basically show the world what you can do right whenever we're talking about trailhead and certifications that's a very structured and linear way of of learning that doesn't really work in the workforce right in the workforce when you're doing projects you get a hit left right and everywhere in between to figure figure out problems and come up with solutions to those problems so and that certification and that those trailheads are very scripted right and so that doesn't really give you the problem solving skills and in my opinion that would you could have and 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 provide guidance to and value to to a potential employer by building out your own right and following you know here's here's some requirements i came up with here's the solution design here's the object model here's what i'm going to do i'm going to do a flow it's going to call an apex trigger that's going to do an api call out all those things that you require as a salesforce developer for example or an admin you can showcase those skills and be able to provide a real project life in the you know real world project uh by by doing so otherwise you kind of do what everyone else is doing and that's just very the very linear path which i don't think will find as much success as if you go off to being track some got it uh okay so yeah i uh, i want to add add some more points or to it uh, so if if you're a fresher who just uh, learned salesforce and is looking to get an opportunity the thing is a lot of employers out there want uh, someone who is an experienced professional who can start the job from day 1 but instead what these people uh, i think should do is they should start uh, doing internships for free or they should start just volunteering their work to the other contractors who are working into the space who are willing to mm-hmm. who are willing to mm-hmm. uh, leverage some tasks to these people and uh, in like so what these contractors want they want to do as much of the jobs as they can do in the same time frame that they have got and they want to earn as much as they can and keep it to themselves that's why they have become contract uh, like contractual people right so they are actually looking for these people who just want to do a job and do not want to take much of a salary uh, just a little stipend or even mm-hmm. there are some people out there who are just willing to work for free 
so they should start looking out for these contract uh, pe- contractual people who are working at different different uh, projects or in different different positions and they should start working for them for free and eventually they learn enough of the things to actually get a job into the market uh, or yes. if there are some companies uh, where they are working into sales force and they are hiring some freshers uh they should immediately go and uh, join those companies because there are very few out of out, out there uh who are doing that and uh, that will pay them a lot in a longer run so yeah these these are certain things that i think they can do right. uh, in order to get into the industry and after getting into the industry yeah. it becomes better no easy. i agree yeah that's right that's right i, I agree with that that approach too the thing you don't want to do is just be taken advantage of either right and so don't expect you know don't work for free for 6 months i just think that's kind of mm-hmm. overkill i would say if you can work for you know 6 weeks just to get your bearings and to show some examples and then ask that contractor you're working for if they could you know pay you a little something just to make sure you know you're getting compensated for it but you know and people have different takes about working for free some don't agree with it some do agree with it okay, but agree, agree. at the end of the day it's like you have to do you have to do whatever it takes to get your foot in the door if that means working for free and working for hours a day to get started for a few weeks then then do that right i'm not saying that's the only way to do it but i'm saying if that opportunity is presented to you you know take advantage of that opportunity versus waiting for your ideal situation that could take you a year down the road you just got to get your foot in the door of doing something versus doing if, nothing if if one is really determined for it i don't think uh, that person should actually think about getting compensated compensated That's initially right. but what they should think about is getting their st- skills on track and once they are confident in, uh, enough into their skill sets uh, they'll automatically get compensated for it i guess and if they are not getting compensated then they they should ask for getting compensated exactly and while you're doing that have a little Uh, repository of the work that you're doing because that's the stuff you want to showcase to a real employer once you get hired. So don't don't do the stuff that you're doing for free. Don't just think it's free work that you know you can't hold on to to be able to leverage when you're going in front of an employer. And I did this when I was starting out out of school. Like I had C plus plus programs that I had, I had printed out of all things. This is you know twenty two years ago. Printed out, showed it to an employer during the interview, and talked about a C plus plus calculator that I had built in C plus plus code, and I got the job. I mean, I don't know if that was what sealed the deal. Probably wasn't. But it, 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 it matters. It didn't hurt my situation. It matters. It matters exactly. It showed evidence about what my experience really is and the challenges and problems that I've solved. And it it makes a huge difference into the employer's eyes. uh because it shows the determination right. and the dedication that you have to get into the industry and no one wants to lose that kind of a candidate yeah exactly because exactly the, right. because of the motivation and everything that they've got to get into the door or get their uh, foot into the door actually another thing on, motiv- on motivation is just last week kind of off the track a little bit i had someone i was inter- i was interviewing doing a pre-screening with uh for an employer and uh got his resume submitted it and the employer said well that's great Chris this individual already reached out to some of our internal personnel to ask more about the company and the culture and the type of products we work on before you even submitted this so that shows intuition or not i guess it shows dedication to the about the individual that they're very interested in working for yes yes i mean to me you put yourself way above and beyond with the normal person it, it it makes a lot of difference it it uh, it, it leaves an impact actually yeah. Yeah. That's right. And it's not and it's not 
it's not it's hard, easy. right? It's just kind of maybe getting it out of your comfort zone a little bit, but it's all online through LinkedIn. I mean, it's an email, it's a LinkedIn conversation. It's not like they're going to come to your house and you know chop away your <laughs> left arm or anything like that. It's not that, that serious. Great. Uh, okay, so I've got so this was the case, and for all of the candidates who are looking to get into the uh, into the industry, now I've got cases for the people who are looking for talent, uh, basically the companies. So my question is, what companies can actually do to attract and retain talent? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, attract is you got to stand out, right? You got to figure out how to do that, and I think a lot of times that comes to. Uh, having your internal employees help you recruit, um, provide referrals about why, recommendations about why this company is, because word of mouth travels fast, right? And so having your internal employees be satisfied so they do get, have someone reach out to them, it's a good story to tell, right? And then, you know, understanding what is, you know, what are you, try, what is the company trying to do, right? What, how are you attracting talent? Why do you stand out? What is your message to the market? You know, kind of, what are you doing differently than most? And if it's the same story, then you're probably going to not really get much traction from a candidate perspective, right? Um, you know, a lot of that times, again, we talk about this equity position. I think that's a different perspective. Unlimited PTO could be a perspective you can look at it as a benefit, a good 401k match, compensation being above average if you can afford that. Um, there's a bunch of different levers you can pull as an employer to, to attract talent, um, but you gotta you gotta you gotta pull some of them. If you don't pull any of them, then, then don't blame you know yourselves for or blame yourselves essentially why you're not attracting good talent to come in. Um, and then what was your other question around this, Shrey? Got it. And and what about retaining the talent? What are the things? Uh... Retaining the talent. That's right. That's right. That's right. So keeping them, you know, keeping them um active and engaged and presenting new opportunities to them paying them a bonus if they want to continue down the certification track continue to pay them bonuses for that uh throw them in new projects keep them off you know keep them active in their knowledge and in their experience and in working with different uh companies or industries or technologies you know if you're if, if the position is going to be dull and it's going to stay dull for a long period of time people don't don't want that. They want the uh, the opportunity to, to learn new things. They want to have some autonomy to make their own decisions. They want management that they can turn to and feel like there's a good open door policy to be able to work with and talk about strategies and their career growth and things like that. You know, I think those are the things that employees want and will keep them satisfied uh, and to hopefully keep them in place for a long period of time. But if you know, if you, if you don't do any of those things then expect the, the turnover to, to, to be above average as well. Got it. Uh, okay, so uh, I have a last question for you. Uh, and that's a very, that's a question that I'm also curious about. Uh, let me, let me, uh, let me shoot sure. that up. So where do you see the Salesforce ecosystem <laughs> heading in the next three to five years? And are you optimistic about it? I am. So three to five years, I think it's going to be more uh, of the same. I think additional acquisitions are going to be happening. I think the, you know, an interesting thing I heard about was that service cloud is now exceeding sales cloud revenue. So I think there's going to continue to be growth in the service cloud uh, sector as well. I think sales cloud may be a little bit saturated now. I think service cloud and then 
with Slack acquisition, I think that's going to continue to elevate the service cloud um, footprint in, in the ecosystem as well. Um, I think three or five years, we'll continue to see growth. I'm not sure if it's going to be the same level of growth as we're seeing over the last couple of years recently, but I think Salesforce continues to innovate. I would like to see some additional uh, AI capabilities to continue to come into place. Um, I'm a fan of Internet of Things and IoT, and I know Salesforce is they started strong in that a few years ago at Dreamforce, and then they I haven't seen it lately. Uh, Maybe that would be something they'll pick up on again with IoT. I, I remember, I remember, I remember seeing you uh, in yeah, India yeah. Dreaming showing your session on that. Yeah, so I, I, I love that idea. I mean, I think IoT is the way in the future, as well as uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning as well. So I'd like to see some additional advancements happening there within Salesforce. Um, it's going to be interesting to see about the, like we talked about earlier, about the system integrator side of the house. Are they going to continue to build professional services and advisory services? I think the market needs it. I don't know if they need it necessarily from Salesforce doing it, but I know advisory services, a lot of clients don't know enough about the technology and how to get the best ROI out of Salesforce. So I think there's going to continue to be some good, uh, some, 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 some good leeway there and some good runway for companies that want to get into the advisory sector. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, as now, as much as ever, if you want to break in into a career in Salesforce, you have a good, at least a good three to five year runway ahead of you based on what they're continuing to do. They're continuing to innovate, they're continuing to acquire. I think they're doing everything that they need to do to be successful in the next few years. So, uh, okay. I mean, uh, I, I got your point and I have something to add on to that as well. Yeah. From last five to six sure. years, every year I've been thinking about that Salesforce is at, it, at its peak and everything which goes on to a peak, I mean, goes a little bit down uh, with time, right? So this is how it looks like, the graph looks like. But every another year, Salesforce has increased that peak to such a level that I was not able to imagine or I was not able to think about. Like, I, I could never imagine that, that Salesforce is going to be this big in terms of everything, like the partner ecosystem is big, like as big as ever, the uh, positions, the compensation, the uh, like the customers, everything is continuously increasing. And four years back when LWC came back, uh, came, I, I think lightning experience when, uh, four years back when lightning experience came, I thought that it's going to be a little bit changed or something like that. But till then, uh, like since then till now, there are like so many things that have come up and there's, there are still so many things that's that, that are coming up that sometimes I get uh, like, I, I mean, I, I, I get worried about where is it exactly going and, or are we actually, uh, I mean, thinking less of it or are we like, are we actually overvaluing the things that which Salesforce is doing because it's doing it at a, at a tremendous rate sure. and at a, at, a, at a size which right. no one could ever have ever imagined of, I guess. I mean, do, do you agree with that? Right, right. No, that's a good, I, I do. I do agree with some of that. I think the acquisitions are playing a big part of this, right? Continue to stand up new clouds, right? So government cloud, health cloud, you know, they're always come up with innovative ways to repackage, retool, innovate new, acquire new, right? And so when you have all these different verticals available, they'll continue to figure out ways to gain additional market share, right? Um, Tableau acquisition was huge, right? Slack acquisition was huge. Those are kind of the, the, the big ones recently. The Acumen was kind of showing the, 
the public space that they're getting into more advisory and consulting services, right? And so, you know, I think they have a good internal research and development department as far as understanding what customers' needs are and continue to innovate the platform around hearing the voice of the customer. Um, and so, you know, when we talk about artificial intelligence, IoT, I think there's continue to be different paths that they'll continue to explore to figure out how to bring additional market presence in the overall ecosystem. So, you know, they're they're not a stagnant company and they um, continue to make big strides in innovation and acquisitions, which I think will continue to be um, part of their increased trajectory of growth over the next three to five years. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I I think that's it uh, that I uh, I wanted to ask and I wanted to discuss with you and I was really excited for it and I it I really enjoyed the conversation that I had with you after such a long break and it was really amazing to get sure. insights onto all of these things that I've been looking for from so long. It was really nice talking to you, Grace.